Well, those of us who know Tony know that wouldn't have been the case. And I'm delighted to be back at Bobby Branch. As he mentioned, I've had opportunities to be with you on various occasions through the years, the gospel meetings, your lectureship some years ago, and and this, I think this is the second time I've been a part of your Sunday night series. Very grateful for the invitation. And I'll tell you, I've been gone, not a long time, but I've been gone long enough that I'll have to confess to you tonight, I had forgotten what a good singing church this is. You have an excellent leader, and you sing with him. And if God was the one to whom you were singing, he's pleased, because you sang in a beautiful way tonight, and it was very encouraging to sing these great hymns and to have the opportunity to praise our Heavenly Father. And to be with Tony is just a delight. The Lawrence family has meant so much to me through the years. I think I've mentioned to you before that Coretta's um, dad was in Huntsville when I was. She was a student at Madison Academy, and I was teaching Bible there. Known that good family all through the years and admired them and and Tony is just such a, a great gospel preacher. You see, those of us who are preachers, especially those who are heavily involved in the use of Macintosh or Apple products in the electronic world, know that the name Tony Lawrence is on your speed dial somewhere because if you get into trouble, you just hit that certain number and say, Tony, bail me out. Tell me what button to push. And he is, he's always so accommodative in that, and we appreciate him for that. But I'm going to tell you in all seriousness that that's just a part of why we love Tony. You know when he stands in the pulpit, you're going to hear the Bible. You're going to hear it preached in a way that will help you to help you know God's will and to live according to God's will. And I count it a pleasure to be with you tonight. I'm glad that Phyllis could be with me. And we're here to study God's Word, and so let's, let's get busy with this. Something was mentioned earlier and, uh, in the announcements, and I also saw one of the slides on the PowerPoint presentation of your announcements about your Vacation Bible School and other Vacation Bible Schools going on. We've just uh, completed ours at West Fayetteville this past Wednesday. We started that BBS last uh, Sunday evening and went through Wednesday. And our theme this year, and this will ring a bell with some of you that are getting out those iPads and so on, uh, our theme this year was Words with Friends. Uh, we took that little theme, and, and our, one of our deacons developed some blessings for us in which we focused upon words and how words have meaning. And what those words mean to us as Christians is really important to us. So we talked about words like faith and hope, and we talked about the word promise and words of confidence and trust in God. That, in turn, led us to focus upon some very important characters in the Bible, one of them especially that we focused upon in at least two different classes was Abraham. And I'm going to talk to you about Abraham a little bit tonight. I'm going to talk to you about his wife. I'm going to talk to you about his great-grandson. And it all has to do with this theme of envy and jealousy that we're going to discuss according to the Bible tonight. 
When Abraham was 75, God made a promise to him. And you find that promise in the 12th chapter of Genesis. And he promised that through his seed all nations of the earth would be blessed. Well, more than a decade went by, and that had not been fulfilled. And Abraham and his wife Sarah were childless to that point. So Sarah took it upon herself to try to, in quoting the words of Brother Guy in Woods in his excellent little commentary on the troubled or the background of the troubled Middle East, he said Sarah took it upon herself to help the Lord fulfill his promise. So she went to Abraham and she said, I give you my handmaid, Hagar, and you may bear a child with her so that you can have that son. Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. Ishmael was Abraham's child, but not by Sarah, his wife. And that was when he was 86. Thirteen years went by. So now, nearly 25 years since he was first told that he would have this child, a child of promise, through whose seed God would make a great nation and that all nations of the earth would be blessed. And at the age of 99, God visited him again and told him, Abraham, you're going to have that son, that son of promise. Abraham was 99, as I said. Sarah was 89. He reacted as most men and women of those ages would have reacted. He laughed. She laughed. Because the idea just didn't make sense to them. With her being past that normal age of childbearing, she said, how can this be? But of course we know that with God all things are possible. And there was a child that was born that was named Isaac. God said Isaac is the son of promise. Abraham had earlier said, how about Ishmael? But God said, no, it will be the son born of Sarah, your wife. So Isaac was born. He then became the father of two well-known twins, two, that is, two boys that were twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the one who ended up having 12 sons. God changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And so those 12 sons that belonged to Jacob slash Israel became the head of a tribe, each of them the head of a tribe among the Israelites. And when God led the Israelites under the leadership of Moses to the land of Canaan, that land was divided among those tribes, and the land promise was fulfilled. Regrettably, those people were not always faithful to God. And they forfeited their right to be known as that chosen nation and forfeited their right to the land because the land was theirs conditioned upon their faithfulness. 
And that's an interesting aspect of the story that is quite fascinating and uplifting to pursue. But let's backtrack a little bit. Hit the rewind button in your mind and go back to that moment when Abraham was without child and Sarah gave him Hagar. The Bible tells us something about that moment. I want you to read it with me. I want you to open your Bible or access it through your iPad or whatever you are following in. But you go back to the 16th chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 16. Moses recorded, now Sarah, Sarah I, as she was known at that point, Abram's wife bare him no children. And she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Now, get whatever mental image of that you want to have. Maybe picture Sarah sitting in front of their dwelling place. And she watches Ishmael grow. She sees him through the weaning stages. She sees him running around later playing with his friends. She sees him happy. She sees Hagar. And maybe you might even see Hagar looking over at Sarah because she had a child by Abram, Abraham, which was his name after God changed it. Was there any jealousy there? You know that embedded in that word despised in verse 4, there was a strong cord of jealousy. Envy? Indeed there was. I want to read to you the dictionary definition, which is in harmony with the biblical definition of those two words. And as you, if you remember your English grammar at all, you can understand quickly that the word envy is sometimes used in the form of a noun and sometimes it's used in the form of a verb that is a word of action. As a noun, it would be defined as, and I quote, a feeling of discontented or resentful longing 
aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. For example, she felt a twinge of envy for the people on board. A noun. If you used it as a verb, again with the definition remaining basically the same, a desire to have a quality, a possession, or some desirable attribute belonging to someone else. And you might use it in a sentence in this way. He envied people who did not have to work on weekends. So it would be as a word of action, something that he does, and he is in the position where he looks and sees something going on in other people's lives that he finds desirable, wishes he had that attribute or that privilege that they have, and he envies them in that situation. And then, actually, as what I would call, grammatically speaking, a first cousin to those two, the word jealousy can also be used in various ways, but just one brief illustration The word jealousy as a noun would simply be defined as envy, covetousness, resentment, resentfulness, bitterness, spite, and informally, the green-eyed monster. Isn't that interesting that that was used as a part of the explanation and definition? And you would use it as a noun in this way. He was consumed with jealousy. When I read those definitions and understand the practicality of them, then my mind comes over toward the New Testament to one of the most well-known stories that you and I have studied through the years diligently. And I know within reason Tony has preached on it a number of times here. It would be logical. It would be very sensible for him to do that periodically because we all need to be reminded of what the story teaches us. It's the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And you remember how that prodigal son came to his daddy and he said, Father... I want my inheritance. I'm going to leave home. So his daddy divided out the inheritance, and he took it, and he went off into a foreign country. And there he wasted his living in riotous living. He wasted his substance. That which he inherited from his daddy, he wasted it. And one day... As the Bible says in Luke 15, he came to himself. In other words, it became something that he was conscious of that maybe up until that moment he was oblivious to, just blocking it out of his mind. But there, feeding hogs, he was hungry. He was without the necessities of life. And he thought, 
daddy has men back at home that are hired hands that have more than I have. I've made a mess out of my life. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to say, Daddy, I have sinned. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Just make me as one of your hired hands. And the daddy said, no. We're celebrating. We're going to kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. Because my son that has been gone all this time, that was dead, was lost, well, he's alive. He's been found. He's home. So he began to bark out the orders to all of the servants and what to do to get ready for this party. And you know then the rest of the story of that other brother. He hears this sound of a party. He comes in from his work. And he had a fit. What is going on? Well, your brother's home. And instead of saying, wonderful, great, he went marching up to daddy and said, I've been here all this time, day in, day out, doing the best I can for you as your son. You've never had a party for me like this. Do you sense any envy? Jealousy. And there are a number of things in that story that we always focus upon. One of them being the prodigal son coming to himself, confessing his sins. Another one being the forgiveness of the father who allows you to come home and to say, I've wasted too much time living in a way that is ungodly. And just as that earthly father ran and met that prodigal son, God runs and meets us and says, welcome home. But the third thing that we always point out is how while there is a reason for rejoicing with the prodigal, rejoicing over the grace of the father, there is a reason to regret and to take note of how bitter, how jealous, how envious and resentful that brother was that he couldn't say, I rejoice with the angels in heaven. Let's go back to the Old Testament. To illustrate from Sarah and Hagar the repercussions that came from choices that were made and the envy and the jealousy that surfaced between those two women. To illustrate how far-reaching those consequences were, Recall that from Ishmael there came the Arab nation. 
from Isaac, conceived by Sarah, there came the Jewish nation. Those two boys were born to the same man, but to different mothers. And their mothers despised each other. And the result was Hagar was driven out by Sarah. Get out of my sight. Take that boy. I don't want to see him. And the envy, the jealousy, the despisement that surfaced between those two women continues in their descendants around the world today. And their descendants fight and argue over a piece of land. The Arabs say, Jerusalem is ours. And they make that claim through Ishmael. They say that when Abraham offered his son upon the altar in Genesis 22, that was Ishmael. That's what they say. Contrary to what the Bible teaches. The Jews say, no, this is our land, making that claim through Isaac, Abraham's descendant, through Jacob, through Joseph, the descendants of Jacob. We who are Christians view that land in a totally different way. We view it as the place where Jesus Christ was crucified, as the place where the church was begun, as the place where the gospel was first publicly, officially proclaimed. And we understand that Jesus Christ was born of the tribe of Judah, which was a descendant of Jacob, and that through Jesus Christ we have access to the grace of God and God's beautiful scheme of redemption. So the battle continues. And as long as you have those perspectives that I've just briefly described, you're going to have trouble in the Middle East. And when you look at that story and you think about the rippling effect that was started with Sarah and Hagar, you have an overwhelming illustration of what can happen when you despise someone, when you're envious, when you're jealous of what someone else has. The Bible 
tells us in a wonderful way how terribly consequential envy can be, and not just in these stories. I want you to open your Bible to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. I've already made mention of Abraham's grandson, Joseph. I've made mention of him being one of the sons of Jacob. The Bible says that Jacob dwelled in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being seventeen years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. That would be Jacob, of course. So you have no doubt where Joseph stands in this family. Jacob or Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. How sad that in any family, be it Jacob's, yours, or mine, that brothers and sisters can be so estranged and have such strife and the family be laced with jealousy and envy to the point that a brother and another brother, or a sister and another sister, or a brother and a sister, whatever the case, can't even speak a civil word to each other. That's really what is said here. They could not even speak peaceably unto him. My Bible, in a footnote to that, has the word peaceable translated friendly. They couldn't even treat him like a friend let alone like a brother. And then you know as the story progresses there in that chapter how Joseph went to them and said, I want to tell you about a dream I had. And he tells about how they were in their fields and he said, we were binding sheaves in the field. And my sheaf rose and also stood upright and your sheaves bowed down round about mine and made obeisance to my sheaf. Oh, that bothered them. Verse 8 says, The brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Then he told them again 
about another dream. But his daddy was present on that occasion, and he told about the sun and the stars, or the sun and the moon, rather, and the eleven stars making obeisance to him. And his daddy rebuked him for it, saying in verse 10, Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Now stop your reading for a moment. Let me ask you, does this remind you of something that happens years later? When they were smitten with a famine, they didn't even have enough to eat, let alone feed their cattle. But they knew that down in Egypt, there was plenty of food. And Jacob sent some of his sons down there to see about getting some of that food. And guess who was in charge of it? Joseph. Because you remember how in the rest of that story, out of their jealousy, out of their envy, out of their spite, to their resentment of him being daddy's favorite, daddy's favorite, they sold him into slavery. God blessed him and made him the highest ranking man in Potiphar's house who bought him. Potiphar was the only one that had more authority than Joseph. So God blessed him. And through Joseph's wise counsel, for seven years they had stored up enough food to take care of everybody. And when they came down, not even realizing before whom they were bowing, those brothers bowed down just as his dream had indicated would happen. But when he told that part, that dream, in verse 11, read it, and his brethren envied him. How dare him, I'm sure, was the thought in their mind. How dare him think he's just a kid and we're all going to be bowing down before him while we know where we rank. Daddy's always loved him more. And they hated him. They envied him. And in that case, God took that which they meant for evil and turned it into something good. And he not only gave them food to take home, eventually, as you know the story, he made arrangements for them to come and move the whole family there and live in the land of Goshen, blessed under that Pharaoh that was in power at that point. Later, another Pharaoh that was not favorable toward them came into power. He didn't bless them. He made slaves out of them. But God used what those brothers did out of envy and jealousy and spite and brought something good about. And as a part of God's plan, 
that through Abraham all nations of the earth would be blessed. And where would all of this be centrally located? The land of Canaan on Mount Moriah upon which there is Jerusalem with Bethlehem nearby, Nazareth not far away, Capernaum, all of those great places that were those key points in the life of Jesus. And it was all there. Not in Egypt. And God took that unfortunate situation that those brothers created and worked it around to be good for His people and years later called Moses and said, Lead them home. And they got up on the eastern side of that Jordan River. Moses had to stay behind because of his own disobedience. And Joshua led them across the river into the promised land. And the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. I want to spend just about two minutes reading something to you. Open your Bibles to Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 11. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And I want you to end the study with me where we started the study with the scripture reading. Turn to James 3. James 3. Verse 13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. We've seen that illustrated in the scriptures we've studied tonight. We've seen it as a warning and a teaching from God. Envy and jealousy are sins. God commands that we have the right attitude and not be envious and jealous. And I know that that's possible for each of us 
or otherwise God would not have commanded it. I hope this has been of help to you and encouragement to you. Open the songbook to the number that has been announced. And we're going to stand in a moment and sing this song to invite and encourage those who are not Christians to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian who's been unfaithful, God will forgive you and welcome you home just like the father of that prodigal son did. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation in any way, come while we stand and while we sing.